My experience with gardening is pretty minimal. My first real foray into plants was getting a planter shaped like a duck that had a bunch of succulents in it. Oh, succulents are easy to take care of. People who actually knew what they were doing told me. As it turns out, I did not know what I'm doing, and I probably still don't know what I'm doing. Those succulents did not last very long in this world, though I did appreciate one of the little fellows at the end hanging on for as long as possible. Nothing like a massively empty planter with one small shrub reminding me of a once respectful bounty. But I've braved new waters since then. I tried growing tomatoes and basil in my backyard, and wouldn't you know it, I mustered a small handful of baby tomatoes, tomatolitos, if you will, and had enough basil to make upwards of two batches of pesto. If you've never known the joy of slathering pesto on everything, because yes, a batch makes a lot of pesto, well then, you truly haven't lived. I've even gotten back into the succulent game, refilling the duck with a bevy of new plants within the past couple of weeks. My personal favorite, lithops, which are also known as living stones. They look like little brains to me, but I also heard a shop owner refer to them as pig's noses, so your mileage may vary. While my green thumbs are slowly but steadily improving, my guest today has been gardening for virtually her whole life. Monique Allen realized there's quite a bit of overlap between landscaping and growing a business, and after that light bulb went off, she started her career as the Lifescape coach. Today, she works with companies across the trades and helps them nourish their business far more competently than I nourish a garden. She created the Lifescape method to guide people toward improving their land, lives, and professional satisfaction. There's a lot of cool stuff nature can bring us, and Monique is all about incorporating those good things into our daily lives and mindsets. We're talking about how the Lifescape method has evolved over the years, how business owners can get rid of toxic employees, and why the triple bottom line is so important. I'm Joey Held, this is Good People, Cool Things, and here's my conversation with Monique Allen. To start, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, but then also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm Monique Allen. I own the Garden Continuum, which is a landscape design build firm. I'm the founder of the Lifescape Method, which is a way of landscaping, but it's also a way of developing your business. And I'm a business coach. Uh, And I work primarily with people who are in the trades trying to develop their businesses while also not tearing their hair out and, you know, suffering through business ownership. And I do all of this in Massachusetts, so New England. Since you have such a long history of gardening and landscaping experience. What would you recommend to someone like me who has so little gardening experience? I think I've tried to grow uh, basil plants once and tomato plants once and was <laughs> thrilled when I got like three small little tomatoes uh, and, and officially made homemade pesto like twice and it was phenomenal. So what, where else should I, I look to, to sow my seeds? Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, I think um, landscaping gardening, growing food products, you know, all of these things sort of have their place in, in our lives. And I do think that it's in our DNA that, you know, human beings, uh, co-evolved with growing things, right. And we co-evolved with natural systems, though our worlds right now are not really very connected to natural systems, uh, which is why you have that friend who doesn't like it when it rains and doesn't like it when people say we needed it. Right. Um, (laughs) But, but, but what I would basically say is figure out how you're connecting. Like, so for you, your first connection was food, 
it was like, I'm, I'm connecting because I, I want to connect to food. So great, you know, grow more food, figure out, you know, tomatoes and basils are really easy because you can do them on a sunny porch or a balcony or a kitchen window. Like there's, it's easy. Um, people will often start plant, you know, planting and, and growing house plants because it's great. It's oxygenating for the inside of a house, especially in controlled, you know, when you have a lot of controlled air. Um, and then for, for outside, you know, if you, if you do end up having a plot of land, I usually as woo woo as it sounds, I tell people to go outside, walk around and feel how you feel in each one of the areas, like feel how you feel, which means notice how you feel, you know, like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm on display here versus, you know, you go around the back and like, oh, I just wish I could sit here. This is so comfortable. There's nowhere to sit. Crap. That's a place to start. You know, we need to make a sitting area because this area. So a lot of it is is to slow down and not worry so much what's on Pinterest and hows and all of that. And ask yourself the question, how will nature in whatever form it is, whether it's tomato and basil or a cool patio with some really nice plants, um, how will it how will it change my life? And that that's the basis of lifescaping is that this is this is connecting the natural world with our world, which is also natural inside, but not very natural on the outside. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's where I tell you to start, go out and feel yes. it. I like, it. I feel like I've done that for my dog with, um, cause he, we live on the corner. So he runs back and forth all the time. He just wants to say hello to everyone. Mm-hmm. And it eventually stripped away all of the grass that was there. So it was just like down to the earth dirt. So, had a nice little uh, running path for him there and now he just loves it and it's it's some some wood chips and just you know some dirt he can run around in so it's not like tearing into the earth itself and it's oh, it's lovely he loves it <laughs> right he's happy right it's like this is joy this is full joy and we have the ability to also be connected in ways that create joy like you know if there's beautiful smells or beautiful sounds or like when my kids were little uh you know like they'd walk through the vegetable garden and they would just like eat like right from, you know, just the fact that they could pull tomatoes or pull leaves off of things and eat them. They thought it was the coolest thing, you know? So It is the coolest thing, yeah. It is the coolest thing. <laughs> <laughs> Until you realize you just ate some inchworm. But anyway. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good roughage. It's all good, it's right? Yeah. Full protein. <laughs> so can you talk a little more about kind of the creation of the LifeScape method? Like how did you decide, like, this is this is the way to go and how have you seen it grow over the years yeah it's a that's actually a great question you know it's funny hindsight is you know hindsight (laughs) is so different than than the truth of how something actually happened um so this is i'm i'm pushing four decades in this industry so i look at my career and i like the first 10 years second 10 years third 10 years four 10 years and each one of them was a little bit different and landscaping was very different you know back when i started in the 80s and um it was it was conventional. It was uh, pretty product centered. It got even more product centered after that. Like once um, things like HTTV, Martha Stewart, Home Depot. You know, not to disparage any of them, they were all great. What they did basically was bring something that was a little bit more highbrow down to the common man and woman, so that everybody could partake. And so, on that sense, it's really awesome. The negative is that it got very product centered 
And it also got very keep up with the Joneses kind of thing. So it's like, oh, okay, fire pits are interesting. We all need a fire pit. Or, you know, uh, Arborvitae hedges are interesting. Everybody needs an Arborvitae hedge, you know. And it got to the point where I don't think people were really thinking for themselves. They were more, you know, uh, you know, thou shalt plant be- this because you have a south-facing yard. Um and so what was happening is I was seeing two things happen. One was called featurescaping, which was where people were just buying stuff, like kind of hoarding plants and products in their yard and then using products to treat those things. Like it was just product, 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 product. It was a featurescape. And then the other side that I was seeing was what I was calling deadscapes. These were landscapes that were either poorly planned, meaning generally not planned, kind of haphazard kind of stuffed in the ground, no real thought about the fact that these were living, breathing beings. And then the kind of care was horrible. And I was like, this is not, this is not what I signed up for. There's no life in here. Oh, featurescape, deadscape, life, lifescape. Oh, okay. So there was lifescape, right? That's what I wanted. And then I, I, I understand because I do a lot of teaching and coaching. And so understand that People need simplicity. They need frameworks because it really helps. And so I thought, you know, what is the foundational thing of a lifescape? Like, what is it? And the three things that came up for me is that we need organization for life to work, right? Some semblance of organization, some system within which things are uh, in relationship to each other. So we need organization. We need health, right? We need health. We need health and vitality. We don't want to be sick. We don't want the landscape to be sick. We need health. And then we need wow factor because after all, we are so driven by wow. That's awesome, right? We love awe. We love wow. We love a little bling and glitter and all that. And what's happening is that's what's happening in featurescaping. Ooh, I want that. Ooh, I want that. Ooh, I want that. And But it has no organization. It has no health. And then deadscaping is neglect. So those are the three tenants, organization, health, and wow, or what we could also call vitality, but wow factor. And when I realized that that's what it was, I was like, oh, well, now I have to try to codify what I'm doing. So that's why I wrote Stop Landscaping, Start Lifescaping. And after about a year or so of that book being out, I realized, oh, that's what I do in business too. So that's where the Lifescape Coach was born. Let's go to the book first. Yeah, sure. Because I think that you know, a lot of folks who have come on this podcast are either already authors or they, you know, they have the book in them to do the the old cliche. Everyone's got a book in them. I, yeah, yeah. And it's just a matter of, of getting it out into the world. So is that something like, did you always think like, I want to write a book to like get this, you know, once you realize like, oh, I need to codify this somehow, was, was it always like, it's going to be a book now? And what did that sort of process look like for you in, in putting it together? Well, I've been writing for a really long time and I've been teaching for a really long time. So I've had a blog before there were blogs. I actually had a newsletter that like you had to go to a printer and then you had to print it and then you folded it and then you put a little wafer to keep it closed. And then you actually licked the stamp to put it on, you know? Um, So I've always believed in what I would call um, kind of like open source information. And so when the idea of a blog, you know, say, oh, this is great. And so 
I was already writing a lot and I was already teaching a lot. And so when I codified this, it was like, it had to be a book, Mm -hmm. but I stalled. Like I really stalled for a long time because writing a book is hard. It's, you know, not, not that it's so technically hard, but I was working hard. I was raising kids. I was, you know, I was busy and, and trying to find the time and, I had a lot of trouble getting, having myself held accountable. So I hired a coach and she sort of helped me and I still wasn't doing it. And she's like, look it, do you want, do you, do you need to write this book all by yourself or do you need to get the work out into the world? You know, the information I'm like, the information has to get out in the world. She said, well then hire somebody to help you write because you're not writing it. And so I ended up hiring a woman. Uh, from the West coast. And it was just the coolest process ever that she had. Basically what I did was I gave her the outline and then she formulated questions. She asked me the questions and we just, she just interviewed me and I just talked and talked and talked. And then we had it transcribed with a woman who did the transcription in Ireland. And then we would get it back and it was so funny. It was so funny because it's like word for word And then between us, like she'd clean it up and then she'd give it to me and then I would edit it and I'd give it back to her. And then, and we just kept doing this. And because I was paying her, I was going to be accountable to it. And I just didn't realize that that is also writing, you know, that, that a a feather pen with an ink, well, you know, that it didn't always have to by (laughs) candlelight, like it didn't have to be that. And so speaking it and then editing it is how it finally came to to be. Um, So yeah, I think I just had to learn not to get too precious about it, but it had to be in a book. I'm more a fan of the uh, typewriter, one one key at a time, like one finger, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you you mentioned how you work with a lot of folks in trades uh, Mm -hmm. with your, your coaching. Have you found that there's kind of a consistent challenge that they're all coming across i know that's a very broad generalization since i'm sure they're all in different industries but have you seen kind of some trends uh with the folks that you work with yeah for sure so the the trades because the trades are you know we're makers we we're we're makers and doers we're working with our hands and um all of the trades are are a little bit different but the building trades the land development trades um all have a, a lot of similarity. And one of them is, especially in my area, seasonality. But even even some of the other trades, like I grew up, my father was air conditioning, refrigeration. And um, and so I was in, we did kitchens, like um, ethnic markets and, and restaurant kitchens. And even that has a, a seasonality uh, to it a bit. But uh, I think generally some of the biggest problems are we get these great technicians, right? Really, really good technicians. I mean, they're mechanically skilled, you know, horticulturally skilled, um, machine skilled, like all this. And they will find that somehow there is a dissatisfaction with where they are at work and they're ready and they have the itch and they want to become an entrepreneur and uh, they want to own their own business. And, you know, my, I can't, outdo Michael Gerber in the e-myth, he lays it out beautifully. You know, just because you're a technician doesn't mean you can be a manager. Just because you're a manager doesn't mean you can be a leader. And so 
Um, the biggest challenge that that I think most of the people that I work with have is they're brilliant. They're really good at what they do. They're creative. They just and then they have to they have to grow. They have to scale. They have to work with people. And it's like, ugh, people, <laughs> ugh, you know. And so I'm not teaching them how to make money. I'm not. I mean, I am because I there's a big component of like money shame and. Uh, just inability to get through money blocks. So that is a piece that I work on. But what I mean by that is they don't, they don't not know how to do the thing. They know how to do the thing. They know how to make money in the sense that they know how to do their craft, but the frustration level with building teams, with building an organization, with trying to figure out what is the container? What is the work I do? What is the work that I don't do? Where do I do my work? Where don't I go? Um, that level of discernment seems to be quite lost on the the group that I work with because, you know, if you need a landscape and you're two hours away, well, it's not that far, right? So I'll go two hours away. Well, then what if somebody needs a landscape that's two hours away the other way, you know? And so what starts happening is most tradespeople who are succeeding are literally running around with their hair on fire. And it's not good for the psyche. It's not good for the nervous system. And they're in pain. And mostly what I'm doing is trying to help them navigate out of pain and into a much more organized, healthy, and vital business experience. Can we get a, a little sneak peek maybe of an example? You don't have to name drop anyone, but of of something where their hair was on fire and you're like, here's... Here's the metaphorical water to put it on. Yeah, I definitely can. And I would say that uh, one of the things that seems to be a theme, uh, I can give you a couple of stories, but but this one feels good. One of the themes is, you know, that business that's that's just scratching under a million, you know, they want to break, they want, they just, something in them, they want to, they want to do that break. And um, there is a dysfunction inside their business. And so it's like they go up, they go down, they go up, they go down, they go up, they go down, right? They can't break through because you actually need some momentum. You need some force to break through the million dollar ceiling. And um, invariably, there is a person in their business that is ensuring that they will not succeed. I, it is uncanny to me that brilliant people will will end up hitching their wagon to someone toxic. Uh, it's often, it can be an office person or it can be like a lead field person. And the owner needs that person so desperately that the that these people, maybe they're not bad people, but they know that they have the owner up against a wall because they're never going to get fired, you know? And so I have had several experiences where one of the first major things that happens is that there's a separation. And oftentimes it doesn't need to be that the owner fires them. It's that the owner learns how to set a boundary. The, the owner learns how to, to identify what makes them uncomfortable, what makes them comfortable and what they need. And then they, they can articulate that really well to the staff and the most toxic people will generally leave. Uh, so that, that for me has been like, that, I did not know that was going to happen going into it. It was more helping people to develop agency and stand their ground, but it's very hard to stand your ground when you haven't defined what the ground is. <laughs> so I'm helping them define the ground and then 
helping give them the tools to stand their ground. And then the toxicity leaves on its own. And if you think about it, like in the human body, if you begin to bolster the immune system, the immune system expels the disease, right? So it's, 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 that was eye-opening to me. Um, and now I can identify it much faster because it's, it's, it's not as much, um, it's just not a surprise to me anymore. And I do work with people where I want to know who is their team and what is their contribution. And we talk a lot about that early on. So that's, that's one way that transformation happens. And that business did break through the million dollar ceiling. Nice. Way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Now this is beyond all the other things that you do. You also do speaking. Is yeah. that correct? I always like to ask anyone who's in any kind of performance-based type of thing. So a musician, a speaker, anything mm -hmm. like that. What's your worst speaking gig? Oh, <laughs> you know, okay. So I started teaching at the Master Gardeners Association. And it was a, a, you know, a long, being up in front of people for a long time. And um, two sort of two, two things about that. One is that when you have a talk, when you have a certain thing that you're going to speak about, um, and then people decide they want it, you have to say the same thing over and over. And um, I'm not great with repetition, you know? <laughs> and so in my brain, I had to sort of re recreate it all the time. And so I was I was a quintessential bad speaker because I wanted, I, I didn't want to bore the people by saying the same thing. And it was, I'm like, wait a minute, it's a different audience, you know? So um, I think... That for me was a big one. It was like getting over the hurdle of saying the same thing and saying it with the same passion and being able to um, to come up there authentically like I'm saying it to you as opposed to repeating what I've said 27 times. Um, and where that came about for me is that a different state brought me in to, to teach this topic. And I saw the room and immediately realized I was in the wrong room. <laughs> like I was like these people were not going to be able to receive what I was going to teach. And I just, I made this assumption that, you know, I was teaching ecology, basically garden ecology. I was giving a, I do this speaking on, on, you know, kind of that mashup between gardening and ecology. And I just, I didn't define my room. I didn't, I didn't know as a speaker how important it was, um, and so I, I gave the talk. It was fine, but like they never asked me back, and and I I think I bombed. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I did okay, and and I, I I I did me up there, but it didn't land. It wasn't the right audience for that that talk. And ultimately, it's not about you. It's mm -hmm. about your audience, and and that took me a little bit to learn. Yeah, I think that's a good. I, I would say I've done less speaking and more just music playing, mm -hmm. but I think that's such a just like a good reminder is that it is about the audience. I like my answer to this question, we were playing a memorial for someone, but it was at like a, a, a venue where people were having dinner during it. And it was just such a weird combination of like, these people clearly just want to eat and like enjoy their own company. And we're up here playing rock music. <laughs> like it's not, <laughs> it's not the right audience for it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that takes, right. That takes a couple of things, right. The awareness of, of what you do, right. You know what you do. I know what I do. So that is the awareness is number two, one. Number two is, is the receptivity of that audience. 
And then number three is the agency to be able to say, I don't think they were the right band for you, <laughs> or I don't think that's the topic for this group, you know, and, and, and the, the fallout could be, you don't get the gig. Right. But I think now I realize it's better not to get the gig, mm-hmm. you know, than to get up there and feel really awkward. And it's the same with design, like when, when I'm designing or coaching. So if I'm designing, I'm really designing to solve a problem for that particular client or, or, you know, my, my flair and my sense is important, but it's not as important as what they want. And so you have to chameleon yourself as a designer. And that's hard for designers to do that are attached to their style. Mm-hmm. And in, in business, I have to be able to be okay with somebody who's structuring their business different than I structured my business. Um, and if I'm not, I have to say, you know what, There's we're not in alignment well enough for me to be the coach for you because I can't coach to the way you want to run your business, or I can't design to the way you want to have your land done. So I'm tapping out. Yeah, I think that can be something hard to, to learn how to do. But then once you do, it's just, it's like a weight off your shoulders when you can identify that. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And I'm still learning. I think we're all still learning saying no, when you know, you could help somebody is kind of a hard thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm getting better at it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely getting better at it. And something else that you, in, in you know, preparing for this podcast that I, I saw pop up a few times is the triple bottom line. Mm. So what does that mean and why is it important? So I learned triple bottom line uh, really initially by doing conservation work. And I was a conservation commissioner in my town for like eight and a half years. And, you know, it's a volunteer position in the, in the town government. And, um, you really, you're, you're, you're upholding the wetland protection act and, uh, and everything that is going to be done in these jurisdictional areas has to go through this permitting process. And so you're always asking the question about features and benefits, uh, potential harm, mitigation of harm, and, you know, um, repairing the difference between conservation versus sustainability versus preservation and all these things. Right. So I had to learn all of these things. And then I came upon this, this triple bottom line. I didn't make, I certainly didn't make that up Mm -hmm. or the circular economy to make up either one of those, but, and it's this idea that your bottom line is, is a combination of things. And it's not, one comes first, the next one comes next, and the next one comes. It's not like that. It's it's this interrelated connectivity between our planet, our environment, people, the people that are your clients, the people that are your employees, the people that are in a community, and then the 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 economics, so the profit, the um the economy of it. And so, you know, you'll hear like the three E's of sustainability or you'll see the three P's of triple bottom line, you know. And so I always talk about planet people profits because, you know, we all want profit. We're in, we're not, we're not, I'm not doing running a charity. I am actually running a for-profit business. So I want the profits. I need people to make that profit happen and that those people need a planet to, to work on. And so the planet is the big circle. And then the little next circle is the people. And then the next circle is the profits. And that 
we need to be thinking through that lens all the time. And I had built my value structure, which looks like a, you know, those little pinwheels that you blow and they, they twirl around (laughs) and they have five points, right? So I made this pinwheel and it was, you know, nature, people, accountability, coachability or education and fun or self, you know, sort of the, the reverence to self. And that pinwheel is spinning all the time. And you, you don't know which one's on top when but you've got to be paying attention all the time. And that's really the triple bottom line. So the triple bottom line is this construct for how to run a business in an ethical way. Um, and you're toggling between the two. And so when I say that I won't coach somebody, if I don't believe that they have the triple bottom line and they may not know the word, they may not have identified it, but I can see it in their practices or I don't see it in their practices. And I also don't see any potential for it. That has been a really, really great tool for me to understand who will, who is my client as a business client, but also who is my client as a gardening client. Because if they don't care, if they want me to throw chemicals everywhere and they, they want me to like come after things with chainsaws and shears, like I'm not working for them. So, so that's, that's triple bottom line. And it's, it's been a great compass. I like that. Maybe that segues nicely into another question I always ask, which is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. So what lights you up? <laughs> <laughs> All of this lights me up. I the the idea of lifescaping really lights me up. I don't think I would have known that uh you know as a young person um or or even maybe even you know 20 years ago, but I'll tell you what what really lights me up is is this idea of living in a generative way. Living in a way where you really are you're, you're just, you're, you're pushing that ball forward. You know, you just really, um, expanding and learning. And I, the work we do is, um, we call it regenerative landscaping and regenerative would, would suggest that there might be damage. It would suggest that there might be some kind of, um, you know, fail point or damage point or trauma point, in there and regenerative work is to help reinfuse life. So for me, the thing that really lights me up is the ability to, to feel alive, to feel like I am contributing, that um, I'm making everything that I am involved with just a little tiny bit better every time I, I interact with it. And for me, um, a, a way to express that was to learn to become a yoga teacher and so I'm, I'm in the very beginnings of teaching yoga. I've been teaching yoga for a couple of months, you know, and, and it, it just feels like it feels really good when you're helping people to kind of connect with themselves. And I do that in business. I do that in the land and now I'm doing it in the yoga studio. So, um, yeah, it makes me happy. Love it. My dad started doing yoga during the pandemic yes! and he's, he's, I think he's up to twice a day on most days. So it's. And anytime I come to visit, it's like from two to, it's mostly, mostly Zoom uh, based. So uh, I think it's like two to 245 or something. It's like, I got to stay out of the living room because he's, (laughs) that's a space. And I, that's it. I empathize. It would be, if I'm just running around in the background, it's probably not a very relaxing (laughs) environment. (laughs) All right, Monique, you're almost off the hook here, but we always like to wrap up with a top three. So what are your top three vehicle choices? Mm. Okay. So I love, I have always loved anything with a throttle. Um, 
And uh, so my most favorite vehicle that I have owned, I own a Mini Cooper now, which I really love. And nice. it's a six speed and it's awesome. <laughs> but the, the, the vehicle that I really loved was I had a, a full size uh, Ford Bronco. Ooh. Unfortunately, it was like the OJ Simpson one, right? <laughs> I had it first, I think, but love that vehicle. Six speed, you know, um, just, it was just, that thing was so tough. It was so strong. It just, I really liked it. I felt safe in it. I felt powerful in it. I'm not a big woman. So, um, you know, it was the big person on the highway. I just loved that. Um, my dream car is a Porsche, um, 718 Cayman. That's someday, someday. That's what I want. It's just such a sexy car and it's fast and it's beautiful. Um, I've wanted a Porsche always. Like I, when I was a kid, I used to collect pictures and stick them on my wall. And when I went to college, I met this guy and he's like, you know, what's it about? What is, what is it with you and the Porsche? Right. <laughs> and uh, he got me for my birthday, got me an uncut Porsche key. Oh, and it was really cool. So I had that key. I don't even know where it is now. But I still have <laughs> my Porsche. So, you know, someday. And then my third is um, I love motorcycles. And uh, so literally um, last Sunday, I bought myself um, a Harley Davidson um, Softail Deluxe. Ooh. So it's well, a congrats. 2011. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and I'll get it. I just got my plates and um, get it gonna get it inspected and i'm, I'm just i feel very grown up to own my own harley <laughs> davidson this feels really cool so yeah there you go <laughs> that is fantastic i've been in a harley davidson shop once and it was in orlando coming back from disney world we, we were in a, a uber or lyft i don't know one of the two but <laughs> we we're getting a ride home and the driver passes by a plaza and then he goes Oh, I have to pick my son up from karate class. He's like, "Do I? Do you mind if I just drop you off here?" And we're like, "That's not our destination." <laughs> he's like, "I know. I'm so sorry, but like, well, he's like, here's my card. You can call me tomorrow. I'll give you a free ride." So got dropped off at a Harley Davidson shop and then wandered inside for 15 minutes while the next the next rideshare came over. That's funny. Uh, it was lovely. It was lovely inside. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're 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 beautiful, and um, you know, they're just just it's. You know, it's the name, but I'm, yeah, I'm feeling pretty, 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 pretty good about it, actually. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> well, yes, hopefully lots of nice weather ahead so you can yes, enjoy it yes, to the fullest. Yes. Good wish. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> In the meantime, or I guess, I guess concurrently with that, too, if people want to learn more about you, want to maybe pick up a copy of Stop Landscaping, Start Lifescaping, where can they find you? So my website is thelifescapecoach.com and I have a little shop on there and you can buy the book right on there. Um, and all, you know, all the other book places as, as well, but you can buy it there and I, and I can autograph it for you. Um, and, uh, my happy place is Instagram, uh, Monique.Allen. And I, uh, try to post and, you know, be fun or be enlightened or, you know, something, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the website is probably the place to go. Awesome. Well, Monique, thank you so much. This was a blast. And I'm I'm excited for all of the rain that Austin's been getting lately because yes. that just means more growth outside. <laughs> <laughs> it means good basil and tomatoes once oh, the sun comes yes. out, right? <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. Already planning my recipes. <laughs> Yay. Thanks so much, Joey. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, we have to end with a corny joke, yes. as we okay. always do. Why did the cookie go to the doctor? 
because it was feeling crummy. Boom! <laughs> Get after it today, people. <laughs> Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Ooh.